Hi, my name is uh, Gavin. I am a neurologist based at Barts and London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'm talking to you today about a subject that I'm quite passionate about. It's about uh, brain health. And uh, I want to highlight the point that I think we in the MS community are ahead of the curve. When I attended the European Association of Neurologists or EAN meeting in Vienna earlier this year in June, there was a massive focus on brain health and the role of the neurologist in promoting the concept. I think this also coincides with a position paper that the WHO published in early August about optimizing brain health across the life course. And so this whole uh, emphasis now is not only on cardiovascular and general health, but brain health. How do we protect our brains so that when we get to old age, we age healthily? And uh, I'm quite proud of myself because I launched this thing called the MS Brain Health Challenge back in 2016 to try and nudge or promote this concept of optimizing uh, your brain health to improve long-term outcomes. So I do think we're ahead of the curve. Um, I started talking about brain health on the MS blog that I used to run. Uh, you know, for about a decade now, and uh, I was subsequently contacted in 2014 by a group of very uh, bright women. Uh, they all worked for a medical communications company, uh, and they'd been reading my blog posts uh, on MS, and particularly my passion about promoting the proactive management of MS to improve long-term outcomes, and they thought that I needed to extend my reach away from just talking to people or the MS community, people with the disease, but to speak to policymakers about the importance of brain health and why time matters in multiple sclerosis. And a year later, after putting together a group of international experts, getting funding, we produced a policy document called Brain Health Time Matters that was published in 2015. And since then, we've had a rolling campaign around this policy document to try and stimulate discussion and adoption of the principles into clinical practice. I'm not saying this is the only document that has catalyzed uh, the change in the management of MS, but it's been part of this gradual uh, adoption of a much more proactive approach to management of MS. We take it much more seriously now. We do feel that time does matter. We try and get people diagnosed and on treatment and monitored as quickly as possible. And we also looking at the other things that can improve outcomes. Embedded in this document, uh, this policy document, is this philosophy about marginal gains. Now, marginal gains, uh, you know, the philosophy of marginal gains is subscribed to Sir David Brailsford. He was the uh, UK British cycling team's manager for uh, quite a few years and uh, his philosophy was the whole principle that if you broke down everything that you could think of that goes into riding a bicycle and improved it by a small amount, say 1%, you'll get a significant increase when you put them all together. And he took uh, the British cycling team from also Rands to being the dominant force in competitive cycling not only uh, on the track, but then he went off to manage a professional cycling team and has uh, dominated, for example, the Tour de France in the last decade uh, with this philosophy. Uh, and I uh, admire it because it's forward thinking and it's thinking about small things that make differences when you put them together. So I would like to say that if we broke down everything we can think of that goes into improving MS outcomes, 
and improve them by 1% will get a significant increase when we put them all together in terms of long-term outcomes. So I'm trying to be trying to promote the concept of marginal gains uh, uh, in the context of the brain health initiative to improve your, your outcome long-term. And I think we need to shift our focus to what happens to you, not next year or the year after, but we need to think about what you're going to be like in 20, 30 or 40 years, depending on your age. Uh, and so this means we must shift our attention not just away from MS-specific issues, but also focus on other factors that affect brain health. So the big question is how do you achieve this? And uh, it's all about how you optimize your uh, lifestyle. And I've written out in the uh, uh, newsletter, you know, things that I think are important uh, around how you stop smoking, stop excess alcohol consumption, make sure you don't develop comorbid disease like high blood pressure, diabetes, try not to be obese, get your peripheral cholesterol and blood lipids sorted out. And if you are leading a sedentary lifestyle, you know, start, start exercising. And uh, I've done many posts around all of these uh, topics in the past, and I refer you back to them uh, as well. Obesity, as you know, is a pandemic right now. We've got increasing incidences in almost every country where they track obesity, uh, and it's manageable. I mean, obesity is one preventable uh, uh, comorbidity that uh, we can reverse. Um, if you're having problems, speak to your family doctor or GP. There are dietitians you can be referred to. There are medications available now. There are uh, bariatric surgery available now. There's lots that's been done to help you lose weight if you want to lose weight. I'm not saying you have to lose weight. It's up to you. When it comes to diets, I personally don't think there is one diet, uh, one MS diet. I think diets have to be personalized. And I would refer you back to a previous uh, newsletter I wrote uh, last year in August about which is the best MS diet. It goes through my dietary philosophy and how I manage and advise people with multiple sclerosis about diet. Exercise, I think, is essential. It's part of your disease-modifying therapy. So you have to exercise. And I don't think it should only be limited to people without disability. Even people already in wheelchairs can exercise using upper body uh, exercises. And there's this big debate about what's appropriate exercise. And I go through that in several uh, um, MS um, <clears throat> selfie newsletters about what, which, is it, which exercise you should be adopting. I spent a bit of time discussing sleep hygiene. Uh, it's crucial for brain health, and sleep is the uh, you know elephant in the room. How can you have a healthy brain if you're not sleeping well? And there's a whole lot of reasons why people with MS don't sleep. And when you survey groups of people with multiple sclerosis, it's, it's a ridiculous number. I'm talking about 80% of people have a sleep problem. You know, and about half of them are seriously problems that need to be managed proactively. You know, so unless we actually reflect on how we're sleeping and have them investigated, you won't pick up these problems. So please, uh, if you have a sleep problem, bring it to the attention of your HCPs and get it sorted. <clears throat> and I also go back uh, and re refer you to you know two previous newsletters, or actually three previous newsletters that I've done around uh, sleep disorders. Um, I also go into recurrent infections. There's no doubt that people who have recurrent infections do worse. Uh, this is not only in MS. This has now been shown in the general population. Recurrent infections uh, increase your risk of getting Alzheimer's disease or dementia. And so we need to do everything we can to prevent infections. So I refer you back to the best how to manage your bladder, 
how to manage your upper respiratory tract and you know important is vaccines if you're eligible for vaccines uh, to prevent flu and COVID etc so please take preventing infections very very seriously and then I also talk about concomitant medications. You know, we prescribe a lot of medications to control symptoms, and the one I'm really worried about is anticholinergics. So these are drugs that um, block the cholinergic system, and we know they're not good for the brain. They increase your risk of getting uh, cognitive impairment. They increase your risk of getting demented, um, you know, in, in, in old age. Not only if you have MS, the general population, and you really need to reduce your anticholinergic burden. And this means swapping out drugs that are old that go into the brain and getting new ones if you if you need for example anticholinergics to control your bladder problems we have new generation ones that don't go into the brain also we use um, drugs like antidepressants amitriptyline old old school tricyclic antidepressants that have potent anticholinergic effects and so you know I would urge you to think about can you swap out amitriptyline for something else if you need it because it's significantly impairs your cognition by being on it and I refer you back to a previous newsletter where I refer to amitriptyline the neurologist dirty little secret and it is a dirty little secret we prescribe the drug to try and help people sleep at night for pain etc um, but it comes with potential long-term consequences yeah? and we now have better drugs that we can use uh, than the tricyclic antidepressants and then I spend a little bit of time on social determinants these are really difficult. These are mental health issues, loneliness, social isolation. These are all bad for brain health and they also worsen your outcome. Uh, and the stress is associated with the social determinants, particularly if you're having financial problems, if you are depressed or anxious. Uh, you really need to uh, try and lift yourself out of the low mood and ask for help. You know, you can speak to your MS team, you can speak to your family doctors, and there is lots that can be done now to try and improve your social situation. Um, you know, people who have poor social determinants uh, or poor mental health or financial difficulties are chronically stressed, and we now know that chronic stress plays out on general health and it worsens outcomes. And the NHS has put money into a pot called social prescribing that tends to be controlled by the family doctors, GPs, and, and the social prescribing is to just address these issues. They can try and refer you into community groups, for example, and there are lots of different things that are available under social prescribing to improve your social capital. In other words, imp improve your uh, uh, interactions with other people. And I refer you to a previous newsletter I recently wrote on the social determinants of health. And then I, come, I, final, I finally end this off with this concept of wellness. Now, wellness is more than health. Health is a medical construct. It's whether you've got a disease or illness versus being healthy. Whereas wellness is how you uh, interact with the world, with society, and whether or not you're able to thrive. And so wellness is something you also need to look on. So, so to thrive, in other words, you must have access to other resources uh, in society. And it also means interacting with the environment. Uh, and this is why uh, if you read about wellness programs, they're not just focusing on medical or health issues. They're also focusing on the quite intangible things, you know, intellectual, emotional, physical, social, spiritual, occupational, and environmental well-being. And so uh, to achieve this, you either have to adopt your own wellness program 
or you may need professional help. There are lots of online resources, uh, community-based resources to join wellness programs. Um, I was actually quite struck when I went to the American Academy of Neurology meeting a few years ago. It was actually one in uh, Vancouver, if I remember correctly. They had a whole day dedicated to wellness neurology. And on the uh, in the hall uh, where they have all the um, pharmaceutical companies come in, they had a breakout area called the wellness area where they were offering people yoga, the meditation practice, mindfulness practice, etc. And this wasn't ne- wasn't being provided for patients. It was being provided for neurologists to look after their own brain health. So um, this is big news, brain health and wellness. And so I personally think if you want to make the most of your life and maximize the chances of you getting to old age with a healthy brain and spinal cord, you need to go beyond just having your MS treated. You need to think about all these other aspects of your life that, in, that interact with your uh, uh, general well-being uh, and to optimize them. Uh, part of this is prehabilitation. So you may or may not recall my uh, activity in the – well, actually, MS Selfie came from that. Uh, during the first lockdown of the pandemic, I launched a prehabilitation program for people with multiple sclerosis, things you could do to optimize your general health so that if you did get COVID-19, you would have a better chance of surviving or having mild and the prehabilitation is not just about COVID, it's about what's around the corner. And around the corner is always going to be a problem. Be it a fall with a fractured hip or a fractured femur, be it a bad chest infection or septicemia from a bladder infection or trauma uh, like I had. Uh, there is always going to be something around the corner that's going to hit you. You don't know what it is. So you really need to optimize your general health so that if you did get a catastrophic event in your life, you could uh, weather the storm. And so um, embedded in brain health uh, and wellness is prehabilitation. It's kind of a positive. It's looking after yourself to deal with future crises, whereas the other side of the coin, brain health wellness is optimizing that so you can live a, a good life right now. They're part of the same uh, same marginal gains philosophy. And I finish off by just putting up my picture um, that I've been evolving over the time about the holistic management of MS, uh, looking at the MS-specific targets, and we're working on those. So you have to have your anti-inflammatory therapy optimized. In other words, you need to be treated to target of no evident inflammatory MS disease activity. And then we are building on top of that now with trials to try and find adequate neuroprotective remyelination and neurorestorative therapies. And then on the right of this little picture, I've got the non-MS targets, which are the brain health targets, and I've got a list of things there. And uh, there's a lot of evidence around most of those. Some of them um, are obviously need research and a bigger evidence base. I mean, we need an evidence base because uh, healthcare systems don't pay for things that aren't evidence-based. So, you know, on that list, you'll see HRT, for example. Now, we know HRT is good for treating menopausal symptoms, and there is emerging evidence that it may actually improve MS outcomes in women with multiple sclerosis who are older. However, before we can say that everybody who has MS who's a woman should go on to HRT, we need better evidence, and that's why we need clinical trials. Uh, 
on that list is a drug called metformin. Uh, you probably know metformin is a drug that's licensed for managing metabolic syndrome or type 2 diabetes. And there's good data from the aging research community that it may actually help in terms of anti-aging mechanisms. And there is a clinical trial going on in multiple sclerosis now using metformin as a base to build on top of uh, remyelination therapy strategies. So I can't say everybody should be on metformin. We're searching it and hopefully if we get a, a positive trial, then metformin will be prescribed for people with multiple sclerosis. Um, I put the social determinants of health on there because I do think social isolation is a real issue. Loneliness is very common. A recent MS Society uh, survey done pre-COVID showed about three out of five people with MS had episodes of loneliness and social isolation. That's a real worry because, as you know, MS shrinks your social capital. A lot of people become unemployed. They become disabled. They don't go out very much. Their friendship groups uh, uh, or trigger uh, or shrunk, they uh, divorce is much higher. All those things shrink your social capital, and we are a social species. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, we've grown up in societies, and we get trophic f factors from uh, interactions. So the more people we interact with, the more sociable we are, the better it is for our brains, and that's why uh, we've had such mental health problems during COVID nineteen because the social isolation has. Uh, broken these social interactions, broken these social uh, uh, events, uh, and that's not good for the brain. It's basically the fertilizer that keeps our brains healthy is social interactions. And so I think going forward, we really, really need to think very carefully about social changes that are happening, uh, and we need to promote you know, face-to-face -face communication. Uh, and how we can get people in, engaging uh, socially is very, very important. So please, it's one of those things that you shouldn't be passive about. You know, friendships, you need to work on them. Relationships, you need to work on them. And you should probably go out of your way uh, to get out and to interact with other people. Anyway, this is just a ramble now. Anyway, um, I'd, I'd like to draw to a close, and I just want to know if this is a practical set of advice guidelines uh, and I would like to know from you as individuals if you're practicing the marginal gains philosophy in relation to self-management of MS and if you have any advice please leave a comment for other people with the disease so we can learn from each other and uh, please uh, if you aren't a pain subscriber please subscribe uh, the worrying thing is I may have to go back to a, the previous funding model because a lot of people's Sub, uh, subscribed uh, annually and now that I've made it free when the annual renewals are coming up they're not renewing it because the content is free so I'm having actually having a quite a large drop-off in paying subscribers which is uh, slightly worrying the reason is I've got a big financial commitment from the newsletter for the website which is looking very good we're putting it through beta testing now with a group of uh, uh, people with multiple sclerosis to get some feedback um, I was hoping to launch before Ectrams, but it looks like um, it's going to be a bit after Ectrams now. Not because of the fact that the website's not ready, it's me. Some of the crucial block, crucial pages uh, still need to be uh, finalized and written by me. Um, but that's uh, something on my to-do list. But we will almost certainly have a, a, a created version up, uh, I'm going to say, towards the end of November. Thank you very much. <laughs>